Welcome, everybody, to episode eight of Pot of Bang. Before we begin, I want to formally welcome Naya to the show. Thank um, you. Hello, everyone. Naya is a very you. talented singer-songwriter who's also a huge Sopranos fan. And for those of you that have been listening, you know that uh, she was the colonel that got this whole thing going to begin with. So The matchmaker. Again, the matchmaker. very, very proud Welcome. of that. And she's actually in studio right now. We don't have a camera, but she's wearing a Sopranos <laughs> hat, so it's official. It's official. Um, and one and, of our Sopranos, Graham's biggest fan. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. Super supporter. Exactly. Well, that's how I found Sopranos, Graham, yep, is yep. because she kept tagging you guys. So, But mm-hmm. your stuff obviously stands alone. By the way, we'll get into it, but the memes that you have for this episode were crazy. This was a heavy this episode. Was a really There's good... a lot of inspiration for content here. So today we're talking about the legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. Mm-hmm. The air date was February 28th, 1999. It was written by David Chase and Frank Renzulli and directed by Tim Van Patten. This is the first of Tim Van Patten's work that we've seen so far on The Sopranos, um, but he's a big heavy hitter, just like last week's. Correct, and he would provide the story inspiration for season three's uh, classic Pine Barrens as well. Yep. He actually has been nominated for an Emmy as a director 10 times, including for The Sopranos episodes Amor Fu. And by the way, Naya, if my Italian pronunciation (laughs) is off the wall crazy... I'll let you know. Check me, okay? How do you Um, do on that one? Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whoever did this, long-term parking and members only. Wow. So Tim Van Patten is the man. You guys also, he is the guy behind, or one of the guys behind Boardwalk Empire, which, um, did you watch that show, Justin? I, feel I like did, that's a, I did. I feel like that's I a did. Justin show. I it's a, it's a great it. show. It's a great Did you show. hear today's episode that just went live, Pac Soprano? Did you hear my no, Narcos I haven't, drop? I haven't listened to I it dropped yet. Narcos in there for you. John's I old. Me. John's yeah. old man. You heard it? John's yeah. old. Literally, that last episode, that was your episode, man. You we when you went from this to that and you threaded the needle, you split the defense Thread with Narcos. I was my, like, my Bravo. ears are burning. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> so you had to listen to this. Um, the title. Let's start with the title before we jump into topic one. The title is a play on the famous playwright Tennessee Williams. And Naya and I were talking about yeah. this off mic. They have the same birthday, Michael Imperioli and Tennessee Williams. Schools have the same birthday, March 26th. There's a scene where Adriana calls him her... My Tennessee Williams. Tennessee William, mm-hmm. singular. I yeah. thought that was great. I love that bit of knowledge peppered with ignorance totally. in the same breath. She's great it's for that. classic. And after this episode, I believe Andrea DeMatteo, she got her name in the credits after yeah. this. So this she's was been a guest starring up until yeah. now. Appearance so she was supposed to be just a bit part in the series. and then People she got loved her so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This episode puts her on the map. An interesting thing about her that I read was that when she originally read it for The Sopranos, she was really hesitant to have the accent that she does on the show. And David Chase and I think some of the writers of the show really encouraged her just to speak normal and maybe just even emphasize the accent. Yeah, so exactly. that's why, you know, the Christophers and all the other ways so that she good. talks became really present throughout the whole entire series. Christopher? Christopher. The F-U-H. Emphasis on the so F-U-H. Oh no, my God. Christopher. It's three carrots. Let's dive right in, you guys. Topic one, the opening sequence. I'm probably going to get made fun of a lot today. I'm fully anticipating that. But I'm obsessed with this idea of color palette. Um, It's beautiful. It's amazing. The dreams, we talked about this again earlier. First we get Tony and now we get Christopher. Is this in any way indicating a show pecking order in terms of dream sequences? No, I think it's creating a universe in this Sopranos universe uh, where many of the characters can have dreams. And there's a consistency that you see in the way that it's captured in the video, uh, the dolly movement of the people, and just that strange experience. And this one in particular is pretty disturbing. I think if you look at this show from a pecking order point of view, I mean, I I personally think this show is all about family. And you could take that in two ways. Obviously, there's the, the family business, and then there's the nuclear family or nuclear family of uh, Tony, Carmela, AJ, and Meadow. And obviously, Tony and Carmela are the two main characters, in my opinion, are the two best actors in the show, but they're the two main characters. And then if you go right outside of those top two, the pecking order, I think, goes immediately to Chris. He's, he's the he's next, next in, in line. line. Yeah. yeah. That's why also I think, you know, we see his dream second. Because who else's dream has we have we seen yet? No, no one's no. yet. That's where I got this idea for a question, because to me, and we'll get into what we were talking about earlier, Christopher's crucial. 
Yeah. Christopher is not only crucial to Tony, but you mentioned, John, last week that now the true fan is starting to take hold. Once college is out of the way, mm. now we're kind of like locked in. Now, this episode, if you weren't already in love with Christopher, now he's your boy. He's your one. He's the one. He's the one. Email is talking to Christopher and he says, You killed me. What do you want me to do about it now? I want to tell you. Tell me what? You come here every night. You fucked up. What do you mean? Here's these. Where did you find them? One in the table, three in my skull. You will have our sausages. One in the table, three in my skull. Does one in the table suggest there's a missing bullet that could be linked back to Christopher? This is your Godfather expertise and your Goodfellas expertise that I'm going to rely on because I don't. Why is he so stressed out about that bullet? What is he afraid of? We'll get to it. Christopher and Georgie, which is a problem scene for me that I'm going to ask you guys mm -hmm. about. They dig up the body because they're, Christopher's so paranoid about yeah. what's yeah. going on. What does the bullet in the table represent? I don't know if it's the bullet. He does mention that he's having multiple dreams that are reoccurring that email is telling him that he's fucked up that he's messed up this murder and i think it's be it would be one of the suggestions that uh recounting the murders or something i missed did i put the body in the wrong area did i forget about a bullet uh but he does make reference that the gun was hot meaning it was yeah. stolen so he shouldn't worry about the the bullet i feel like one thing him. they're good at is erasing their tracks yeah. yeah so why is he so stressed about it is it maybe it's his first big kill yeah, I think subconsciously he's probably trying to find a reason to dig up the body, though. I mean, he wants to get caught in some regards, I feel really? like. Interesting. I, so you think maybe he wants to, I think he's to take him back. Yeah, I think he's reading into the bullets more than he probably should. Because why would that guy who he shot tell him, like, give him clues, which is what... You think he wants to try to undo it in, like, some weird proverbial way? I think he thought it was going to get him forward you know you even say like i did this and nothing happened like what the hell why am i still this like he thought this was his big thing so he's gonna go double check yeah. to make sure he did everything put the body where it needs to go you know why didn't anything why didn't i get my big parade why am i not made yet yeah he's you know? just gonna harp on the one thing that is basically and it his, could be anything his most yeah. important moment as an associate i know i'm not using that properly for soldier. his rank yeah. but yeah as a soldier as just a part of the crew that's his what he thinks is his big break and now yeah. it's kind of glossed over nobody really cares it's what have you done for me lately yeah they've moved on but he's still on it obviously i'm sure there's partial part of it is him just freaking out this is his first right. kill he's having nightmares about it but part of it is probably just wanting to get some recognition for it that's yeah. That's to me what this entire episode is about him feeling yeah. like he's not, not getting recognized not he has in the no in crowd yeah I did some research, and it's definitely a fringe science, but uh, um, <laughs> about what dreams mean and certain symbols within dreams. And I found some telling things about uh, specifically about dreaming about dead people could be a warning that you're being influenced by the wrong people in your life. It could 100%. also mean that a situation in your life should be re resolved and it's time for you to move on. And we just said those sort of things. And when you think about that, you immediately think of Christopher. There was even seeing a corpse or a dead body in a dream may represent something inside you or some aspect of self that has died, but you're reluctant to forget about it or bury it in the past. And at least in the mafia side, killing someone, or as they refer to, popping your cherry is a significant breach into manhood in, yeah. totally. in that. And uh, I think he's just coming to grips with that and the guilt that he didn't anticipate from killing a person. And, and he goes to various people at the crew to yeah. get some counsel on that. And I don't know if this is true, but it's maybe one of the only things I noticed. When we actually see some of the dialogue he's writing, like in his script, mm -hmm. it says, I must be loyal to my capo, yeah. which I just was like, that's interesting. That's the one line we see out of all the things he's written. Like we hear other things he mentions, but there's this weird like pull with with Tony as his boss. And it's just this, it starts this whole resentment that we will we'll yeah, see grow in him. Yeah, that's interesting that that's the first thing. I never really thought about that. I'm pretty sure it's the only shot we see of the actual dialogue he's writing yeah, in his script. His, we see well, his bad you spelling. See, you yeah. see, I managed to get the drip on him. But we don't see. We and just hear her be like, well, you mean you managed? Or like, <laughs> manage la americana, you know? I just want to, again, emphasize the color palette had me frozen. <laughs> the green, the cream fringe, the tracksuit, his skin tone, yeah. the shadow cast on the right side of his face. It was like a Caravaggio painting totally. recently with Caravaggio. Nia and I were talking off mic before you guys got here. We both, our favorite class in high school was AP Art History. Yeah. 
So when I see that picture, I'm thinking of like, wow, is David Chase going into Caravaggio world here? And I went on to Soprano's autopsy. So the color palette was not talked about by any of the people that wrote about the show. And I think that that was an oversight on their part. The red and white tablecloth, which is a classic Italian restaurant tablecloth. I think of a Billy Joel song. Where totally. I can see that. Uh, the grayed frayed edges, the yellow walls, the green crown moldings. Again, attack me if you want. It was a beautiful, beautiful dream sequence. Gorgeous. Beautiful. Whose hand is feeding the meat to Adriana and helping? Helping make emails sandwich. Any thoughts? Is it a, is it somebody significant or is it just a I random thing? I thought it thing? was maybe a symbol of his demons, of his darker side, but yeah. that's really left to interpretation. I'm getting really in the weeds here again, but I'm going to go for it because there might be something that you unearth. And Justin is my go-to guy now with the Narcos references, <laughs> so I'm going to keep coming at him. Salami sub hold the mayo is what email says, uh-huh. but then yeah. he switches it to Black Forest. Does that mean anything to you guys? The only thing I could think of was we're just two assholes lost in the woods, like the forest. (laughs) Like to me, I was like, for some reason, if I had to reach for anything, it would be because maybe in the future he gets lost, literally. Shout out to Pine Barrens. Extra credit for Sopranos University here. The camera closes in on Christopher's necklace when he wakes up. Do any of you know what is on the necklace? Those are little Italian good luck charms. I have one and usually there's a different saint on them and they just, they're good luck or they're like protection. Interesting. Any idea what saint that was? The many I'd saints of Newark. I'd have to look at it Newark. again. <laughs> the many saints of Newark. Pot of Bing is brought to you by the many saints of Newark. That would, right? be, dream. That would be the ultimate. Well, you know, I was going to say this whole show is about where's my arc. I just want to put on the record that you guys, this is my arc. So thank you. Aww, oh, right that's back at so you, sweet. Topic two, uh, the wedding scene, spring cleaning. It's a great <laughs> line that I love. Well, right now, you were thinking, Uncle June, that everybody should do a little spring cleaning. That was my next comment. Didn't have any themes, but the symbolism of Tony's spring cleaning with the money falling out of the AC ducts. Yeah. He casually asks Carmela. What's the matter? Nothing. Here we go while holding an Uzi like it's a cup of coffee. There's a great amount of solidarity between them when she gets into the business side of things, and she's so calm and collected. She looks so comfortable with that gun. You get to kind of figure out why Tony's held on to her for so long in the sense of how his regular life ties into business, because she gets it. She's good for it. Yeah, well, I mean, not the way pretend she handed like that She Uzi. doesn't reap the benefits of, oh, yeah. of this, so I, I think she understands. Give us a little bit of the insight into Oof. her psyche. I don't know. I mean, even in that first scene where Adriana turns into Carmela, Adriana looks really eager eating the sausage, not to get too vulgar. Like, yeah. she looks, like, really happy, and then when she turns into Carmela, Carmela just like dead face looks at Chrissy like she's she's been here before like and I think later like we see she's looks comfortable with the gun you know and it's like I don't yeah. want to give you my jewelry like that's her biggest worry like, like not, my ring. not the guns not the money that you know not the fear that the kids are gonna hear it like Even I don't want to give you episode, my jewelry she's grabbing the AK-47 yeah. and Question. Yeah, Question. she wants episode. to keep her gems was the ring <laughs> stolen for sure. For, for sure. sure. 100%. The look on his face, again, we talked about his eyes. His eyebrows give yeah. you the answer. He has a thing that he does whenever he's caught yeah, in he's something like reprehensible that he's done. He says, what do you think I am? Every time he said that, he's that person. That's Good what point. you are. Good point. Key moment in the wedding scene, father of the bride tells Polly, Tony, and Big Puss that federal indictments are being handed down. That's kind of the whole crux of this episode. A real quick 101 on what it means to be under indictment. Basically, a grand jury has determined that there is enough evidence to charge the accused party with the crime. Grand juries are assembled to investigate criminal conduct, among other things. An indictment is basically a fancy word for an accusation that a person has committed a crime. Jesus. Vic Esquire. <laughs> Question. Whose wedding is it? It's Larry Boy Barisi's daughter. daughter. But I thought that his name was Lorenzo. I that's that. Lorenzo, Larry Boy. Oh. Yeah. Everybody has a nickname. One thing I thought was really interesting, obviously they're they're under a lot of pressure and federal indictments are coming down and whatnot. But I mean, that's a... I, I don't know his rank, but I'm pretty sure he's a captain. Yeah. And everybody's just leaving the captain's daughter's wedding totally. and taking the money out of that was the, so sad. the I bridal hated that. purse. That was pretty good but catch. Expected. Half of New York already moved to Fort Lauderdale. Exactly. Chris says I'm OC. 
What's OC? You know, I don't know. I had, I had never Did really you guys heard catch that, that term. Yeah, yeah. It what it what it apparently means is organized crime. Hilarious. He would See, say Justin that. Justin did not fail me on this one. I got I, you. Really. I had to, so I had to do a reference. Um, I love that shot where they're all talking in a circle oh, yeah. and the camera's going around. Like, I almost got dizzy watching it again very intensely. And if you notice, we're, bu- we're behind them all. Because yeah. sometimes we're in the middle, like, looking around or we're in the mix. We're, we're kind of, like, listening to a secret. It was really interesting that they did that. Naya bring in the fire <laughs> because in that in the last episode where they're talking about making Junior the boss yeah. where they're all eating lobster which just makes me want to eat lobster whenever I, I see that episode they're all on the inside right mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing of this episode it's like Chrissy wants to be in mm-hmm. so we're mm-hmm. on the where, where the perspective is on the outside still a little here as and there. far as the wedding as a setting I, I noticed that's a theme in The Godfather it's totally. a big scene in Goodfellas and there's probably countless other mob-related movies that focus on the wedding because I think it's a place where you can bring all these characters together in a non-work setting to create these conversations. And And also what identifies you, like as a woman even, like to get married to a man, you take the name. Like it's Mm -hmm. a new identity. Like in this whole episode to me is about family dinners, different dinners we see with different families, a wedding. This is like an occasion that is a big identity, like the family, the history, all that two families going together. Yeah. And even like... Uh, Adriana dancing with Meadow like why do we need to see that and to me I was like because she's even younger like she's another generation of women that are innocent and naive and just stuck in this situation you know well this expression that we'll keep coming back to in the show the regularness of life David Chase is just showing the regularness of life business actually gets conducted at weddings things outside of the wedding itself are actually going on everybody's got their own little issues and problems and this is just David Chase again showing you he's using the theme of the mob and crime and violence to sell the show but really it's it's about ordinary life like we've been talking about all these episodes you know I'm gonna go out on a limb here because I know we're not trying to spoil everything but Mm. I want to just say that big Puss was in more of a hurry to leave than the others. That was something that I caught. I don't know if you guys want to say that that's a coincidence or, or if there's something else. Any thoughts on I that? I have one. And the camera cuts to Pussy first. It's well, he also overcompensates for being, and here's where the spoiler could potentially be of being an informant. Spoiler alert. Right? By mentioning that he just gave the bride a thousand dollars and that he really can't afford to give mm. if he has to go on the lam to hide out from the FBI. Post seeing that, you know everything that follows mm. was like, why did he need to say that? And it was, again, it felt to me like an overcompensation. Also, the overcompensation to use your word, his spring cleaning involved burning stuff in the barbecue. Which to me was, if he, if we already know what he is or like, if we already have a sense of where, where this is going, it was a little excessive. He didn't really need to do that or, uh, but I, I want to come back to the scene later. I want you guys to remember that I'm thinking about Big Pussy and him leaving first. I want to revisit this uh, as the show progresses. Final note on Pussy. Mm. Um, his wife is a different actress than the one I that we that. come to know was, in the series. I hate it so much. It was rough in the first season. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say it's because they didn't really have all these characters fully fleshed out, right? Was Silvio's wife? No. Silvio's she, wife was different in, she, yeah, in that she, episode In the wedding well, when yeah. he went to go over, I was like, that's not, yeah. that's not her. This episode has multiple recasts, which yeah. we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to get yeah. to that one. Let's move on to, so we did spring cleaning. Let's move on to Chrissy's spring cleaning, which is, again, Christopher is the main subject matter of the show. Uh, I kind of have this categorized as Chrissy's spring cleaning, Chrissy's arc, um, his conversation with Polly, and then the final scene when his mom calls. There's three key moments that I want to just use to set the dialogue for our conversation. Instead of getting rid of evidence like everybody else, Christopher's laboring over a script his magnum opus, right? Um, later, instead of going out, kind of like me editing this podcast, Chrissy confides in Polly about feeling like a nobody. And then finally, at the end, his mother calls him to tell him that he's in the paper. Star Ledger. He grabs every paper he can find. Tennessee Williams is one literary reference. The show is named after Tennessee Williams. Paulie mentions another writer. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he talks about the bull, the writer who wrote about bullfights and blew his head off. Mm. That's, That's an Ernest Hemingway reference. Yes. And then another theme that I had, you guys, is that the past is haunting the present. In this show, as we progress, things that happen in the past are going mm. to inform the present. And in this case, it was Brendan Fallone rearing his head again. He kind of seemed to be the impetus that got the whole grand jury investigation going. And this drives Christopher Crazy. insane. Yeah. Right? Here's an observation for you guys more than a question. And 
I'm obsessed with this, and I, I want to devote a decent amount of time to this. Chris is a screenwriter in the show, right? He's the guy. He's the movie guy for this universe that we live in. He loves movies. David Chase wanted to be a filmmaker more than anything else. He didn't want to make this TV show. The pilot was his movie, movie yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Is Christopher David Chase? I think they're all David Chase. I think David Oof, Chase tries to portray rebuttal. himself. Dr. Packman just breaking down walls Damn. here. Well, obviously we know that Tony is a version of himself that he's kind of portraying on, on the screen because we know that David Chase has admitted that he's had all these unresolved issues with his mother. Yeah. And that's the basis for the entire series is that this this big mob guy has all these issues with his mother that he needs to work out with a therapist. So I think... Christopher probably embodies some of it. I'm sure, obviously, Tony does. I'm sure there's other characters. We don't know too much about David yeah. Chase personally to really, like, put every attribute of his onto another character, unfortunately. We will. But I, I definitely think that that Christopher, some of the, the characters that have the most, uh, that experience the human condition the most, yeah, are probably the closest related to David Chase. Yeah, he does a really great job of humanizing people. Uh, I think Nye and I texted the other day saying that Christopher Maltzasanti inspires a lot. We find a lot of relation to the creative side and the writer's block, the memer's block, yeah. music, whatever it may be. I think any creative person has a moment where they feel like they're not producing what they should or aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or what where's they're meant arc? to. Yeah, where's my arc is, yeah. is where you kind of lead to. And it's just crazy that, you know, choosing for him to be a screenwriter of all things and this whole play, even the rest of this episode is about the whole, you know, they reference other famous Italian movies. Like, mm -hmm. and I feel like David Chase is almost like talking down to himself that like he won't live up to Goodfellas or Mean Streets or any of these other things he references. But in some way he talks down about them too. Like there's this like kind of angst yeah, that you I are sent. Your worst yeah, you yeah. know, like there's this weird angst of like, well, mine's just an Italian TV show, so it'll never be these things. So yeah, it's interesting. This, this episode is an ode to many different works of art, totally. whether they're on film. Um, there's obviously yeah. Tennessee Williams. There, there's with your art references earlier. I think Caravaggio. Yeah. yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of art references here, and it's just it's just an ode to westerns they they totally. talk about. And like, even Lorraine Bracco, she was in Goodfellas, yeah. and her husband's like, yeah. I think Melfi's Lorraine Bracco's father, who played Dr. Melfi's dad, was in it too. The ex-husband was definitely okay. Then maybe yeah. that's yeah. who I'm thinking. Yeah, he think represents such a real Italian. There is that. There is the twenty million. The twenty million. We like the five. Is that a real though. thing, by the way? In Italian households, like, is there is there this antipathy towards the mafia because they give sure. they, they smear everybody's name? Yeah, and there's not a pride. There's no ownership about it, of it in an undershirt, which is just a yes. dartboard with Thomas Edison's face on it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny. A line that I loved, you guys. Christopher's like lamenting his computer, and he says, "Been working my ass off on this movie script. You know how many pages I got? Nineteen. That a lot? I'm a little. Books say a movie's supposed to be about 120 pages." this fucking computer I thought it would do a lot of it think about how much we rely on apps to do everything totally. for us there should be a fucking app to write this well he said he got the screenwriting program and he's like I also think it's funny Adriana's the one that gets his script yeah. back like they say behind every great man is like they're, they're Abigail Adams and she says Abigail Adams it was pretty impressive what would there be anything Chrissy has mentally that we think is we're starting to uh, see already well, well we can get into that when we talk about Tony and Chris's car ride I mean they're both just they're both depressed they, uh -huh. and they both don't want to admit each other obviously there's just the machismo aspect of it the this is a plus one for Tony as a good father figure camp do you think Tony's a good dad by the way where do you fall on that line? Because it's a debate that we've been having. I do. I do. Okay, so it's three to one here. You can relate to it. Yeah, I can't say he isn't because my dad's similar in some Was ways. Was he a great dad? He's a, he's, a, he's, he's a good dad. He's he's a dad in the right ways. You need a dad, a father, provider. A passing grade as a father, maybe. He asks Chrissy about suicide. And I've, I worked at a, as a crisis counselor for a suicide hotline for many years. Really? And just being able to talk, yeah, Dee Dee Hirsch in Culver City. Mm. Oh. So I talk to people on the phone a lot about suicide, and it's a big deal 
to ask, yeah, are yeah. you having thoughts? Are you thinking about suicide? And Tony does that. It was a very uh, self-aware of him, which again, that's made me feel like, wow, he actually checks in. He cares. I took that though more as he has gone to therapy himself yeah. and he's using the tactics that she's played on him. That's like he's like, well, does this word come in often? Yeah. Like suddenly he's the expert when deep down, I mean, he does care about Christopher, but I think it's funny how he quickly changes how he's talking. I think I think you make a really good point there because we know that Tony loves to take what he learns and mischaracterize what like the Captain Teebs. Yeah, he just punched him in the head. And yeah, all of a sudden yeah. he's like, does it come in often? But Sometimes. he likes to take some of the insights yeah. that he thinks are valuable pieces of information and use them in his own personal life. And so, most of the time, like the Captain Teebs time, he does it incorrectly. But this time he's using it in a yeah. good way. He obviously is really new to, to therapy yeah, and he's still getting the hang of it. But he obviously shows some concern and takes what he's learned from, from his own experiences yeah. there. Yeah, I think to go back to the beginning of that scene is he's really upset at him for doing these things that could potentially get him in trouble. And after he lays in the typical Tony anger, uh, it made me think a lot about these guys don't have anyone to go to. They can't talk about murdering someone to their therapist or the priest or whoever it may be. So I know there's a lot of parallels in Christopher's experience and maybe Tony 15 years prior. And I think after it, he was pretty hard on Christopher, he realized, you know, I was probably in the same boat. And that's where he started directing these questions. But also to, to get some relation, I think he was hoping Christopher may have opened up because Tony feels that yeah, way and wanted totally. some shared experience. Yeah, and I, I look at uh, a lot of the scenes where Christopher's opening up to other members of the crew as audition, maybe not auditioning, but trying to get some therapy from the different members when he's talking to to Polly yeah. late night when they're supposed to go out. He's he's talking to Big Pussy about not having an arc and he says Why the fuck would he want to tell you you're in danger considering you put a fucking moonroof in the back of his head? What did we do wrong that night? The gum was hot so the slugs in his head couldn't be traced back to me. You know who had an arc? Noah. And he's talking to Tony and he's even even a little bit to Adriana as well. He's he's having an existential crisis and he's trying to go to somebody, but he doesn't have anybody who has the capacity for empathy that he, he needs at that moment. I want to analyze the driving scene uh, thoroughly in a moment. Okay. But I want to wrap up the questions with Christopher and his arc. You ever feel like nothing good was ever going to happen to you? Yeah, and nothing did. So what? I'm alive. I'm surviving. That's it. I don't want to just survive. It says in these movie writing books that every character has an arc. You understand? Like everybody starts out somewhere and then they do something, something gets done to them, changes their life. That's called their arc. Where's my arc? couple of things. You mentioned the script. One of the things that I noticed, one of the characters' names was Rocco. Is he writing the Rocco Alatori story? Absolutely not. I don't think he knows no? anything about that. Because I was saying, I don't know, one of the earlier episodes, the guy that Johnny Soprano was going to go to Reno with, who's now a billionaire, I feel like that's a sequel waiting to happen. You're fresh from the previous episode. So you guys are not in the Rocco Alatori sequel camp here, huh? I think that's a classic Vic Reach. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do like that Chrissy calls himself a skinny guinea. Because, like, so much of the episode is about derogatory Italian slurs, mm -hmm. and he calls himself a skinny guinea, which is, like, he's proud of it. Like, right. not this skinny he's guinea. A, he's owning it. Yeah. Does he find his arc in this episode, you guys? He does. I think he starts it. I think he finds the floor, the bottom of his arc. It just begins in this episode with with him he's finding got a himself. Dot. In what what was the, the paper? The Star Ledger. The Star Ledger. Love that. There was an exterior shot to uh, Chrissy's apartment. Do you know where that is? It wasn't in New Jersey. Where was it? It was in Detroit. No way. It was an exterior from a corner in Detroit. Later, Chrissy digs up Emil's body with Georgie. Now, this is my problem with Georgie. Why is he, is he that on the inside that he knows where the bodies are buried? Well, I think that was, that wasn't following the proper chain of command. Obviously, Tony gets super pissed yeah. at him for acting like a cowboyitis, having cowboyitis, and taking Georgie when that's not where he should be. I think Christopher was just looking for somebody to help to him. Help him. Yeah. And Brendan's dead. Brendan's so. dead. <laughs> Brendan's probably the guy that he would have he would have done. No that one with. else is gonna help him do that. Yeah. But I don't I don't think Georgie Georgie has any sort of rank. I think he's just someone who works there, somebody who obviously the crew knows well enough that 
they anticipate like him keeping his mouth bouncer, shut. Yeah, right? he, yeah, that's like, you think he's literally a bouncer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was sweeping for bugs. Yeah. He's, he's well aware of what they're doing. He's just sort of the muscle. In that scene, this might be my Vic Reach, on the bridge there's spray paint and it says something familia. We looked yeah, that we up. saw that. What is that? It's a gang. It's a, it's a Amazing. gang. Amazing. Yeah. So, so I love that, okay. that you just did that, yeah. so thank you. What did you call it? Because I, I want to hold on to that, a Vic Reach. My Vic Reach? Yeah, you just, you just defined it. Here comes it. some more, guys. I'm going to move now. We've closed the book on Christopher and his arc. Let's move on to Melfi's house. Well, there's one one last thing I want to get in on, on the Christopher's arc and it beginning. Is Christopher in this life for the wrong reasons? Yes. Is he... Because we, we look at Tony and we look at all those guys. They don't want notoriety. They don't care. They just want to make money. They want to be in this for their family. And they like the lifestyle. And I think liking the lifestyle and liking what the lifestyle is portrayed on in movies and Goodfellas. And I think there's a lot of uh, allusions to that later on in the series when they say, like, you're watching too many movies. Yeah. And obviously he has a fascination with, with film and writing. I think that Chris is in it. Chris is like us. He has a fascination with the lifestyle because of what he's seen in pop culture. I think he's in it because he wants to be famous, not necessarily Agreed. because he's he grew up around that sort of thing to begin with the way that Tony and maybe like the, the older crew did. I don't think he's old school. Because even his dad died, so we yeah. don't, we don't. He doesn't have a role model it's in Tony. some regard. Yeah, it's Tony. No, he's very much the new school man. Yeah. That's the, that's why the dynamic between Tony and him is so amazing. Still yeah. going on the um, David Chase and Moltisanti parallel. Yeah. Uh, one note that I had uh, when he mentions the uh, cousin, uh, he says that the cousin says that mob stories are always hot. But it's interesting, and I go back to an interview with Peter Bogdanovich after the show's first season, and David Chase says the exact opposite and says that the genre has run its course. So it was interesting so that he's playing with, uh, you know, this is his magnum opus. And he really feels like this genre has been played out. But to that note, I think David Chase does this genre in a completely different yeah. way. Like I always say, I think the show's less a mob show, more of a family show. Yeah. It's more of a, of a depiction of the modern American family. So the Melfi House dinner and the Soprano family dinner. Epic. They're two different scenes, but we have one conversation where the dinner topic, the Melfi House conversation is a constant portrayal of Italian-Americans as gangsters versus the Soprano family dinner, which is basically an Italian history lesson uh, filled with a lot of pride and incorrect factual information. While they're eating but Chinese, which I find Chinese, so amazing. It's such an American thing. One family is proud while the other is ashamed. I just want to throw that out to you guys and kind of just get some opinions on what David Chase is doing, the two sides, the two families, and... Which is which? Yeah, yeah, which is which, and which is more America. I would argue that Tony's dinner is a more American dinner, indicative of the types of things that are happening at a family gathering. But that dynamic, any thoughts on the two dinners? I'm curious what Dr. Melfi's opinion is. With the Like, who does she play? Because Is she just defending herself because it's her patient or because she has too much pride and in some regards is very similar to Tony and stubborn and just hates her ex-husband? Because she really just, like, won't stop about defending it in some regards. Well, we've talked in episodes past about how Melfi... I couldn't figure it out. ...accepts Tony and wants to give him the benefit of the doubt and treat him like she would any other patient. So yeah, how does, she really tries to separate. And that's the argument is, yeah. are you reassuring him or are you going to give him any influence to continue to do the crime by acknowledging it or reinforcing the behavior? Are yeah. you creating an evil person? Because it's yeah. like, which dinner's better in the sense of where am I learning the most of what David Chase is trying to tell us? Like yeah. which one is more American? You know, the bitter ones that don't want to, you know, they're great in the cheese. Like you're, you're living your stereotype, Mr. Melfi, you know, like, and Tony's talking about people that have invented things. In some regards, he's seems smarter than uh, Richard LaPena. Yeah. Better, better dad too. Yeah. Another, another plus one there. Yeah. He's well, certainly less pretentious than <laughs> Richard. Um, so we are introduced to Richard, who's Melfi's ex. Every topic, if there's new characters, I'm going to mm -hmm. go ahead and just throw them out so that we're all, the listeners are on the same page, we're on the same page. Melfi's ex, guy named Richard, we're introduced to him. We're also introduced to Melfi's son, Jason, uh, who you, Naya, said you relate to very much. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm my mom's from Italy, and it's just very much that's our that's the kind of Italian family I grew up in. Like an educated parents, they do things, and yeah. you know. But also, we have the other side, you know, and that's where the frustration of Richard Lapena is. You know, they're grating cheese and having sausage too. So, what's the difference? You could dress and not have Murano glass in your house, mm. but at the end of the day, it's just like all he can use is that they're in the mob and we're not. You know, what, there's not much else. Yeah, to go, be honest. So going back to what you were saying earlier, I'm, I'm curious to know because obviously I'm sure that there's the 20 million and there's the 5,000, as, as David Chase puts it. But there still is, like you, for example, you're, you love the Sopranos. I'm sure you love the kind of mob pop culture that's out there. So I totally. think there's two sides to it where there's a real big appreciation for it, but there's also, I'm sure, uh, little insult there by being stereotyped as as a mobster. Totally. Well, I mean, I feel like all of us, everything's centered around family, you know, and it's so interesting to see how, like, the mob connects with that and how he, David Chase, plays so well with showing someone trying to handle both in the mob. And we see glimpses of that in other movies, but that's why this show resonated with me the most because, like, I hate Meadow because I am Meadow in some <laughs> regards. You know, I, I hate her for that. You know, like I sing. She wanted to sing in the like. It's very, it's true to a T of American uh, Italian guilt and like the mother and like my brother is the favorite. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. He'll never do wrong. He is AJ. He is lazy. I mean, I love him. Love you, Eric. But That's like, the worst he's insult. AJ. Your poor yeah. brother. He knows. He knows. Poor Eric. It's just because I'm bitter, you know. Now like, we know where all the, all the negative reviews are coming from now. <laughs> no, I mean he's he's the prince. It's like the Italian son, course, yeah. you know, and that's where it's yeah. You, you made a great point where you said like you know the the Melfi dinner is really no different than the Soprano dinner, and I'm gonna end that thought with a Soprano's autopsy quote. Awesome. Okay, he says that Chase's mobsters are not romanticized as outlaw heroes. They are profoundly flawed men pursuing the American dream mm. in their own profoundly flawed yes. ways. So it's the same hustle, whether you're on the legit end of it or you're on the illegitimate end of it. The hustle is the same. The game Definitely. is the same. They, they're both trying to achieve their version of the American dream. Totally. Do you think Hollywood is biased against Italian-Americans? I think Hollywood loves Italian-Americans. I think Hollywood needs Italian-Americans because that puts butts in seats. I mean, we are part and parcel part of that culture of like, I actually, it's, this is very embarrassing, but I learned about Italian culture through The Godfather. There are parallels to my own background and to my own family. Like you mentioned, we all have very family-centric backgrounds, but I was introduced to Italian culture through the movies. Even aside from Italian-Americans, just an immigrant culture, an assimilation first generation to the second generation, even down to the third, if, if you want to get to like AJ. So it's, it's less even about one particular um, demographic or ethnicity. I think it's really about just foreigners coming to this country and, and trying to assimilate yeah. and what it looks like throughout the generations. And that's what The Godfather depicts. That's what The Sopranos depicts as well. Um, a couple of other ideas and thoughts on the two dinner scenes. Um, There's a great line where Tony tells AJ... The Bank of America. You ever heard of it? One of the biggest banks in the world. Started by an Italian. The first American saying was Italian. Mother Cabrini. That's right. Is it true that the Chinese invented spaghetti? Now think about it. Why would people who eat with sticks invent something that you need a fork to eat? You guys know that I'm a dad. I explain things like that to my kid, too. It, 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 trying to, like, incorrectly but very authoritatively explain away something to basically stop the question, why, being asked. <laughs> um, I totally related to that. The, uh, the notable music moment here that I have is actually no music at all, but T is rattling off names of influential Italians, and he and Carm share a moment when he says Francis Albert, uh, yeah. so, which is obviously Frank Sinatra. My question is, do you guys think that the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, was their first song at their wedding? Was that a fair kind of reach? They had like a genuine moment of love between they each did, other when she said Frank Sinatra. They locked eyes and the camera made a point that to was let weird. you know. I think it was a wink from Chase and even the yeah. cake song towards the end. I, I mean, totally got a, hear it again. A well-known, well-respected Italian-American who also had some mob time. He legitimized mm -hmm. being a mobster, yeah. right? Or at least glamorized. Brought it yeah. into the mainstream yeah. in, a, in a way. Can we move on to the Goodfellas? I got here, uh, Chris shoots the, the cannoli and Shfuya Del Clerk. Is that Spider's Revenge, Justin? That is Spider's Revenge. It is. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Okay. It's the redemption that Spider never got. Yeah. And right. Michael Imperioli's character what got What does he to... call him? Poppin' Fresh? Hey, Poppin' Fresh, I'm in no fucking mood today. I'm next. Now get a fucking pastry box. Chris is number 34 in the pastry shop. They're serving number 29. In the dream sequence, Christopher is serving number 34 behind his head when he's talking to email. What is 34, you guys? John was, I know John was trying to look into that a little John, bit. John, John's my boy. He does that for me. I throw it out there and he goes after it. Sometimes. There, there was a continuity issue that I'd have to look again. I know again, it was. But it, was that, it was that Chris went in, it was number 29 up there, and then by the time it was like four people went through, it still had 29 up there. Yeah, so technically like, he yeah. was waiting. Well, I think knowing that they didn't change that number, we could just pretty surely say that that was insignificant. Okay, alright. Well, there's our <laughs> listeners, and I'm thankful for our listeners, because we get a lot of messages from people that call us out on stuff. If there's anybody out there that thinks there's any significance to 34, I would love to hear your take on it. Now, let's talk about Gino. Slash veto. I thought that was a mistake. That's not yes. a mistake. Guys? It's, they just recast them. I hate it. Right? I don't like it either, but. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to go out on a limb. Not, HBO uses the same actors for all their shows. A lot of the actors from uh, Oz yeah. are in The Sopranos. Yeah. So I, I couldn't like watch a, a lot of actors you. from the show that recently came out about um, New York City in the 70s and pornography. I forgot what that show is about, but there's a ton of Sopranos characters. There's Jackie Appeals in it. But why change his name? Just keep him Gino then. They should have just kept him Gino. But then you know? he, he has taught... The, the character Vito has a lot of ties to a lot, a lot of other people in the series. So for Chris to not know who that was would have been a real indictment of, yeah. of like continuity. And also, David Chase is so sly. There's no way we're not meeting Vito in a pastry shop. <laughs> but it is one of the most talked about things, short of where is the Russian, in the Sopranos fan universe. And it's a, it's a question that we see like in the Facebook groups mm -hmm. where the admins or the people that are really diehards of the show sort of roll their eyes. Like it's, it's easy because we all know it, but yeah. it's definitely a definitive discussion among fans. Ah! Ah! You motherfucker! You shot my foot! It happens. I thought it was cool David Chase also gave a nod to Michael Imperioli's other like yeah. identities in other things. Mm -hmm. You know, he does that with Dr. Melfi or, or Lorraine Bracco at the dinner. So it's like as much as it is Chrissy's arc or his role, there's also an actual other arc Show of happening. Michael Imperioli that we see flash before our eyes. It's true. Which is like, damn. It's very meta. Yeah. Shroyada, <laughs> Shroyada. I love Polly's reaction to when Chris Called gets back Chris and throws oh, it down on the table. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this fool you dumb. What's wrong with you? Oh, <laughs> let's move on to the decoy. I call it the Carmella decoy so mm. Tony can hide his assets at Green Grove. The notable music moment here was this song called Welcome Back by Land of the Loops. It also played in the pilot episode, and it was the first song to play on the show. Wild. I couldn't really decipher why they played it in this scene, but it was great. There was a lot of tension in the scene. Totally. The part where Tony pulls the light switch, the jump cut, the music was a nice capstone to that tense scene. My question for you guys is, T stashes stuff in random boxes in Livia's closet. Isn't it reasonable to assume that she's going to access those things in the near future? Uh, it, it definitely makes for a fun deleted scene of her coming across that potentially. Yeah. I would think he would think this is temporary and, yeah. you know, no one's on to Green Grove yet. So he's just going to put them here for now and figure it out. And then he'd probably forget about it. And also, if Livia found them, she was once a mob wife, too. So I don't think she'd be that shocked. shocked. Yeah. You know, we she see Carmela at the beginning holding a gun where we're like, wow, that's she knows how to hold that. Yeah. So let's jump back to the Tony Chris car scene again. Mm. One thing I want to say, I want to be sure, I'm actually going to quote Soprano's autopsy again because I, I made a point to email him after I read what he wrote about this uh, this scene. We already kind of talked about how Tony's the father figure. He turns into a, Chrissy's armchair therapist and throws <laughs> out the word depressed. But the stylistic and technical observation that I have is the, the opening sequence where you see the camera panning on both sides of Tony's head and the train behind him, it looks like the train is tunneling through his head. That's a foreshadowing thing for me. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Totally. Soprano's autopsy called this scene one of the, quote, one of the most incredible shots of the season. Once they're in the car, you guys, one of the stylistic things that I find so amazing in any show is when there's no cuts. Yeah. 
It's just the two of them talking the whole time. The camera's not cutting. And the first question I have is you can look at Chris's face and you can look at Tony's face and they're about to lose their shit. How many takes do you think this actually took to get the final version and wouldn't you love to see the outtakes of this scene? I think, well, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I noticed, and I don't know if this is an, if it's just a mistake or maybe I'm reaching, because when you see Tony's side, it's daylight. But when you see Chrissy's side, it's, it's sunset. So mm. it took them a long time to do this scene because there are wow. two different time differences and like I don't know if it's meant to be Tony's you know the sun and Chrissy's but because there's it's very apparent like even a little that this this they shot it from two different angles the whole scene and then they it's it changes and I don't know if maybe I'm reaching and I'm just crazy and I'm thinking that that's happening but it seems like it's a different time of day. So I would think it took a long time. Well, I made a note about color palettes again in this scene too. The landscape behind Tony's head almost changes yeah. with the flow and hmm. the intonations of his voice. Again, this is, I know. Wow. I know. T, you, one, of, one of you guys mentioned this, and that's why I wanted to come back mm -hmm. to it. T lights the wrong side of a cigarette and then stomps it out. Why? I think that's just showing his mind is elsewhere. He's having this conversation with Christopher, and they're talking about depression. And Tony, I think Tony's trying to hide his true feelings and i think a part of him wants to reveal what he's going through and give chris a little bit of comfort in knowing that he's not the only person going through this but he can't tony can't do that and christopher at the same time i this is my opinion but i think when when tony's asking him if do you, do you have suicidal thoughts where obviously we know later on Tony's had those types of thoughts before and he, he alludes to it a little bit. He doesn't come out right and say it, but he, he talks about it a little bit and the futility of life and his, his take on it. I think that they both don't really want to confide in each other, but they are looking for, for some sort of a, a reach out. Yeah. yeah. Some, something to go on. And I think Tony feels like he can't really get there and his mind is just racing. And so he's just thinking about the depression and the therapy and different strategies of coping. And that's when he just puts the cigarette in the wrong, on the wrong side and starts to light it and just stomps it out because his mind is not focused on what's in front of him. He's, he's elsewhere. I think he was a little bit stressed out and he doesn't smoke. And yeah. probably just by accident. I loved it. Yeah. I also love the shut ups. Occasion comes to me and says, Nutley PD's got a description, and I'm making the car. Why don't you just leave a fucking urine sample next time? If I could have done oh, it. Oh, shut up. And fucking Georgie comes into the club. He's got vomit all over his shirt. I ask him, what the fuck? He says, you're digging up somebody you clipped three months ago. I was worried. Shut up. People do that shit. They want to get caught. Oh, I want to get caught. Yeah, you want to get caught. I've seen it before. That's fucking cowboyitis. You want to be a big bad guy, Christopher? I was worried that I didn't shut do Shut up. So like an SNL skit, Christopher almost loses his shit. And he held it, which is a testament to his acting. But great, just a great scene, yeah. man. And it's such a simple scene. It's just two guys in a car. You know, it's beautiful. To go back yeah. to yeah. The, your original question of do you think it was like a lot of outtakes? Everything that I've ever seen about James Gandolfini behind the scenes is very different from the Tony Soprano character. So I imagine that there were many times that character was broken and people were having fun and uh, such intense scenes like that probably always teeter on the, the verge of laughter. The line of the year, and I know you guys memed this one mm. too, Christopher's stressed out. He can't find his art. Can I try and explain here? I don't know, Tony. It's like just the fucking regularness of life is too fucking hard for me or something. I don't, I don't know. The regularness of life is too hard for me, or something. That's our go-to meme. We uh, use it as Labor Day, and uh, I loved how you put the Memorial Day. logo in his ears like a cigarette. I really pride myself in putting that watermarks in nondescript <laughs> places. That one, though, that was clutch. That because that was a Thanks. cigarette scene too. I don't know yeah. if you, if that was intentional. I'm gonna annoy everybody by reading a very long Sopranos autopsy quote here, and this is what prompted me to email him because this whole idea of the regularness of life. He says, "Quote Chase's inclusion of." the banal elements around the Pulaski Skyway was an example of the realism of the Sopranos. I claimed that it was part of an ethos of regularness that Chase is deeply committed to. I believe that this ethos of regularness is Chase's fundamental existential position in the series, an idea that our existence is marked by, more than anything else, a sort of boring normalcy that we cannot escape or deny. 
We will see characters abandon momentous, life-changing decisions as they get wearied by the daily grind. We'll see compelling storylines simply unspool into nothing. We'll wait for conflicts, warfare, murder, and confrontations which end up never coming. We will see characters piss and fart. We'll see the Sopranos tackle the big issues such as despair and death in decidedly untheatrical, even mundane ways. I didn't catch that. Can you say that again? I couldn't. I, I don't even think there needs to be a comment, but that right there, the regularness of life, that's what we, I think why we all resonate with the show. Even if you're not Italian, even if you don't understand the mafia, it's not about that. Yeah. It's about the regularness of life and the people and this particular microcosm of people dealing with the same issues that we, we all, all do, deal yeah. with. Beautiful. In the FBI raid, we are introduced to two new characters, Agent Harris and Agent Grosso. Agent Harris is actually a nice guy, as we're going to come to learn, and he's actually a nice guy from the minute we meet him, which I think is great. He's a likable... I, I personally think he's just a likable character. Yeah. Do you, he has a, like, positive disposition, like, right when he comes on the screen, he, he enters... Got this, big eyes. Yeah. yeah. He enters this, this scene by trying to shield Tony's family from embarrassment and, of the kids. and trauma. Anthony Soprano. What are you doing in my backyard? Gate was open. I'm Agent Harris. This is Agent Triscoll. May we come in? If I say no? If we were local, we wouldn't even have knocked. What's your point? We have a search warrant. You know you have children in the house. While the team's waiting out front, we don't think it necessary to traumatize kids by kicking in doors. Um, getting to the end, Olivia tells Junior about T's therapy. This is something that we've been leading up towards. She really wants him dead. This is her, this is his mother. Is it really just because of Green Grove that she wants him dead, or is something else going on here? Did she suggest that he but, be killed? I Junior, I don't want there to be any repercussions. So we don't know that she wants him dead, but she, we know that she wants some repercussions because when she says, I don't want any repercussions... She's washing her hands. Well, yeah, he goes into therapy and... All she can think of is herself. Like, it, he's only talking about me. And, like, yeah. he kind of is. Think about it th Think about it this way. We talked about on the last episode that this was a point where she feels like she's going to have some comeuppance for her bad parenting. She's She's lived her whole life with the idea that the mother is always right. And even Tony has has said that. He said that she's my mother. I'm a good son. That's that's what I'm supposed to be, regardless of the way that she was in her actions. And now Tony, now that Tony is finally going to see somebody and talk about the way that he was parented and her techniques and some of the things that she's done, this is the first time that she feels like, oh my God, I'm going to be found out for the horrible parent that I know I am. And maybe this is a way for her to, to punish him for her own guilt and looking ahead, if we think about the real repercussions of what this information is going to do, maybe that's a way that she can wash her own guilt, wash her hands clean, because then there's going to be no more therapy, no more finding out that she was a bad parent. Sopranos episodes are very self-sufficient that you could turn on one and enjoy it because there's so much encompassing and there's arcs throughout. This one in particular just didn't have all of the connective tissue that sometimes other episodes do. And this was the one that's going to carry us on into there's the, clues the laid consequential down, events that will follow. Foundation is laid down for sure. Yeah. I want to use this as an opportunity to get my NBA reference in. Olivia gets shushed and the slow turn of her head in shock <laughs> so and awe in response is a vintage performance, in my opinion. Kind of like a Tim Duncan-era Spurs offensive clinic. Oh, Duncan on the follow! Turn back the clock, Mark Jackson! Big time play by Tim Duncan. 
she's a great actress and I and I've said this annoyingly to the point of like ad nauseum but that's acting right yeah. there that's not in the script when she gets shushed it's almost like time stands still when she does with this little head turn like I, I wish there was more like there, there should be more Olivia Soprano and I don't know if you guys have picked up on this but a lot of the clips that I do for the episodes I try to I'm trying to get her in as much as I can yeah. well yeah. then you need to get in the uh, I'm no one's darling oh mom Olivia go mustai darling Listen to him without my darling. I am nobody's darling. This one here, she never disappoints you, I tell you that. Are you still seeing your other women, Lorenzo? <clears throat> the last thing that I had, you guys, is the Melfi family therapy session. That so therapist good. was hilarious. <laughs> so I love good. that scene. That therapist was amazing. His name is Coppola. The actor who plays the... Did you catch that? No, is that, that's it's amazing. A, again, it's, it's David Chase just dropping Easter eggs Ugh, everywhere for it. us to just pick up You think crumbs. that was on purpose? Yeah, well, again, because this episode's all about Italian-Americans. Italian-Americans are yeah. no good. They're no, the mafia's no good. David Chase is just peppering it all over the place. It, to me, it's it's not it's more than coincidence because this is the episode about that's good so, Italians yeah. versus bad Italians. But there's this reference to Murder, Inc. And I'm hoping one of you guys bail me out here. I was, uh, mm, I was throwing yeah. this breadcrumb of this reference to uh, Lepke, the uh, therapist says that my family has some bad bad apples. Uh, Lepke, Murder, Inc., some tough Jews. Yeah. What is that all about? Louis Lepke Buckhalter was a Jewish-American mobster and head of a mafia hit squad known as Murder, Inc. The prime of his reign was during the 1930s. Lepke was a labor racketeer kingpin during that era. What's a racketeer? It's a person who engages in dishonest and fraudulent business dealings. Lepke is the only American mob boss to receive the death penalty after being convicted of murder. Through force and fear, Lepke grabbed hold of the garment unions and leveraged the threat of strikes and other work stoppages to extract payments from garment factories. He parlayed this enterprise into an efficient contract killing business and La Cosa Nostra became its biggest client. He effectively created a staffing company whereby individuals or entities outsourced murder and Lepke provided a trace-free solution and headcount. His murder trial made it all the way to the Supreme Court, but they voted seven to zero with two abstains to put him on the electric chair. He had no final words. I could be wrong in this. The origin of Murder, Inc. is um, Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky. They were the original like head Jewish mobsters, and I think they spawned this Jewish organized crime faction. You know, on my mother's side, we have a few dark sheep. Excuse me? Louis Lepke Buckhalter. You know, Murder Incorporated. My mother's uncle was Lepke's real man, his driver. Uh-huh. Those were some tough Jews. Their faces, it was perfect. They were in sync. They weren't even looking at each other, but they were just like, what is this session? That's all I got, guys. Did we miss anything? I'm sure. There's so much stuff. Do I think it's cool like at the end, up? it pans, the last shot is it pans down from a church before he goes and gets the newspaper, Love. which I think is like overall good and bad, you know, what's right, wrong and right. We all come back to like God. We reference Noah's Ark. It's like very much. Did you notice that he U-turns to get the newspaper? Totally. Is that an Ark? Is wrong that, way. Does that count as an Ark? It's, it's going the wrong way. He's getting, he's going towards the wrong direction of where he should for his life. Wow. Deep. I like it. We have sort of a behavior now of these traditions that we do, and we watched this episode four times in a row Amazing. one night. <laughs> the two and of you together? Yeah. I'm jealous. What, why didn't you call me? Coming over next week. Yeah. We'll I'll be watching sauce. Boca. Yeah. Um, and off the heels of Vic reaching, uh, I started, I think the fourth time, I started looking for every detail. Thank and there's you. a scene where uh, Tony lifts up the newspaper. Is reading? Is it? No, it's... 
Um, Someone's reading a newspaper. Livia. It's Livia. It's Livia. Livia's reading, reading the newspaper. And, and you can see the back of it. You had mentioned obituaries, I think, in mm-hmm. a previous episode. So I wanted to confirm that it, that was an actual newspaper. And that person that they list w- yeah. actually passed away. Wow. So a real news- newspaper. It was a real newspaper. I officially love you, John. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's Look, cool that it's the star ledger, too, because it's like fame, movies, yeah. being a star. Like Look, yeah, and I want to, I wanna, in my defense, part of the reason for the rabbit hole deep dives is purely out of respect yeah. for David Chase. He didn't just he wants us to dive. all this thing on the wall, okay? Like, he deeply, deeply thought about this, and that's part of the reason why he won't talk about it. It's yeah. part of the reason why he says so eloquently and so beautifully, it's all there, that's what he said about yeah. that. It's, and it's literally all there from the beginning. Again, I'm going to emphasize that scene that the Sopranos autopsy so eloquently described where the camera pans from one side of his head to the other side of his head and you feel the tension of the train and he's thinking. And that was just before uh, Richard LaPena had told Melfi, this man is evil. Yeah. It cuts to yep. Tony's both sides of his head. Yeah. This is all intentional. So you're going to, I appreciate the fact that when I throw these, when I'm, my goal is to get the questions out to you a little bit in advance so that you can actually do these yeah, things. Yeah, you're a great sport. And I think it's, a, again, testament to this show because we've all done it and we've all yeah. looked at some really and obscure things. And now we're just fleshing it out. We're just getting closure. You right? can't do this with every show. And, no. and there's every time we watch this lead? show and no. we've all collectively watched it hundreds of times, there's always something new. And I think, I'm hoping that the viewers of this show will take away something that they didn't see so they yeah. can enjoy it for and a, that's a our goal and even time. if it's just the four of us that were listening to this we'd still be making it if it was just the four for of us sure. but now that we have actual real listeners i want you to be able to take something away from it that you didn't have before and you guys 800 memes now 50,000 wow. followers world domination imminent you guys are i hope are getting something else out of the show now at doing this podcast right Absolutely. Like it's, it's driving your creativity well and we're connecting with the fans in a different way now because they they're getting to see the intellectual side of what we bring on the, the memes and memes the discussion. Memes are hard, man. It's hard to make a static image and then have someone laugh out loud. Think about that. Totally. That's a really challenging thing to do. And I'm sure that you guys have at least hundreds of people on a daily basis that are in their cubicles laughing out loud. Yeah. Well, I hope so. We should emphasize we want people to call the hotline, bang. Yeah. But we want to encourage, because we get a lot of questions, a lot of interactions on our page, but... Reach out. Keep that coming. Keep it coming for sure. Things yeah. you like, don't DMs. like. I was uh, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and I just had like some downtime, and I did a ask me anything or one of those Instagram yeah. story ask me a question, and I spent a good hour and a half <laughs> just responding to every single thing that I got, and I was having such a good time. It's so it's a lot of fun. So it's just so much fun talking to other people about the Sopranos. Worse. It's generally even when I meet somebody that's from New York or New Jersey, and I like just meet them for the first time in my head I'm like alright so when can I wait to bring up whether they watch The Sopranos <laughs> I had a musician in here yesterday he came for another show that I'm producing and he writes operas okay does he record in Denmark I like that <laughs> and as soon as he said I live in New Jersey I almost wanted to interrupt their interview and be like yes. now, how do we do how did I do? You did well, amazing. Welcome to the family. I mean, right? uh, I mean you guys, this is a special. You, I have a Tony right Soprano tattoo. We're good. We're in Hollywood now. And, we are literally, uh, truly we're in pretty Hollywood close. now. We should all get tattoos tonight. I'm, I'm doing it. I would do it. <laughs> if David Chase is a guest, if we get David Chase on the show, I will get a tattoo. Same. My first tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. <gasps> So I will get my first tattoo of David Chase as a guest Mom, on the show. I it will should be not. the best is over. Because um, this, again, th- this episode to me is a very personal one. I think I messaged you guys in a moment of like humanity. I was like, this episode makes me tear up. Because I- even if you don't like the mob, it's a moment where Christopher, everybody reaches at their life and like, what is the point of yeah. all this? And it was a beautifully placed. It's the eighth episode in the season so we're at the midway point of the sh- of the season and I'm in love like I'm yeah. watching the show again but as a, as a first time watcher too like you're officially in love with the show and you can't wait till you see episode 9 episode 10 so on and so forth so this was a special episode for me that's why it's almost doubly as long as our other ones and next week we will be on episode 9 I haven't done any research on episode 9 because I've been spending all of my time on this episode mm-hmm. um, we're thrilled yeah. <gasps> that's a fun one half of New York's already in uh, Florida Naya it's been a pleasure thank we're you guys so for having me I hope board. I at Sopranos Graham Crew thank you as always and we'll see you next week and you will have our sausages <laughs>